Hello, listeners. This is PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon, and this is PSG Small Talk for Saturday, November 3rd, 2018. On today's show, I talk about a multitude of issues. The Football League's bombshell, in quotation marks. Uh, PSG getting in a little trouble off the field. We talk about the games against OM and the game against Lille. And we preview the matchup that everyone is looking forward to or not so looking forward to, depending on if you're a pessimist or an optimist. PSG going on the road to face Napoli in the Champions League. Um, quick little note, a uh, little bit of technical difficulties around the 40-minute mark or so. I lose John for a couple minutes, I lose Eddie for a couple minutes, but we bring it all together and we bring you as good of a content show as we've probably brought you in a long time here with the three of us. I hope you enjoy it. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Subscribe to our podcasts and contribute to our ever-growing Patreon page. Um I've announced already we're going to do a History of PSG um, podcast series, which I'm going to start working on, and we should have ready for you by the winter break. More projects also probably coming along the pike as well. Potential t-shirts. We've been talking to designers. We have designs in mind. A lot going on here at PSG Talk. Hopefully we're not as bu- we're Hopefully we are less busy than the actual club. Hopefully... It is not a Europa League-bound type of situation, but we'll find out on Tuesday, and we'll talk about it right now. Eddie, are these football leaks something or nothing? I honestly do not know. It's just a lot of moving parts. There's no, I mean, there's really no credible source. I mean, I, from what I've done, I did my own little homework, and I, from what I've read, I'm not sure if it's true or not, but I believe the guy who reported the Ronaldo sexual assault allegations is one of the authors or one of the, the investigators helping this story or whatever it is, uh, but other than that, it's just a lot of moving parts, and it's, it's a lot of it's it's you have to do your homework on this. You have to read up. You have to look at how credible the source is. And when it comes to to football, there's really no it. There's you. Okay, what I like about us here in the states, usually we have in every sport there's two or three insiders that are really credible that you can bank on. But in in football, we here in Europe, there's really no. You can't really say is this guy this guy is really credible. We should go with this. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just right now. It's just a bunch of rumors, and I, I guess time will tell if, if this is true or not. John, something or nothing. I, I I'm not buying it because it's again I, I, when it when it comes to rumors and and things of this nature, I always look for credibility. And like where it stems from, who they're targeting, like it's it's a lot of it's it's, it's a lot of what we read year round in football Twitter, <laughs> all in one article or one column or whatever it is. So it's like essentially because I'm to be quite honest, I was not I never heard of football leaks until yesterday. So essentially, it's like a WikiLeaks. Yeah, that's what I was, I was. Yeah, I was. <laughs> right? It's like WikiLeaks. Essentially, that's what it is. And I, I was talking to somebody on Twitter who lives in France, and she was. I, and I asked her to kind of explain what's going on, and she was like, "Because I, I initially I thought it was just French based, because because the media part is the name of the, the 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 site that leaked all of the the French based information." But she said it's pretty much a conglomerate a conglomerate of a bunch of journalists in in all of Europe who come together and and, and do all this investigative uh, reporting quotation marks and uh, you know and kind of just come out here with a bunch of stuff that to be quite honest it's like we kind of know that this is how football uh, in today's age operate or just how it's always been operated it's not it's not the people in those countries it's the the oil. The billionaire people who, from outside source, come in and buy these big, buy these big European teams, and there's a lot of corruption in a lot of this. Like, just it's FIFA, right? Like, we know we know how FIFA is perceived generally um, 
So for me, it's like, oh, what are we really talking about here? And then just for for the PSG aspect of it, what they're saying is that uh, the you know people who play a big role in FIFA and UEFA essentially covered up uh, PSG's financial fair play um, thing, and so it's like, all right, so. UEFA is the one who's trying to bring down the sanctions on PSG, and they're the same ones who are covering up for them. Like, uh, I, I don't, I, I, I don't really buy. It. And then when you read the other stuff about when someone, somebody died, and there was like at least we have six more or something crazy. Yeah, that was, just like that was that yeah, was Manchester City. That was that was Manchester City. It's like, all right, this 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 right. is a, a, a bit clickbaitish, but you know, it is what it is. And and PSG had a had a rebuttal and a press release ready uh, i saw fifa i read fifa's uh, press release about it every every team has pretty much came out and denied all of this which they're going to like i wouldn't expect anything different but uh yeah i, I don't really put too much into it the the problem with all of this is, there's 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 a bunch of issues with it but i would say to, to kind of summarize the basic idea of this in 2011 the Qatari investment group bought Paris Saint-Germain and they invested money into the club about, according to this, about 2 billion euros. Now in the same year, PSG, uh, UEFA enacted the financial fair play rules. So essentially because of FIFA, uh, you, sorry, I'm trying, I'm confusing four letter acronyms here. Um, <laughs> UEFA creating these laws in the same year that Paris Saint-Germain was bought by Qatari Sports Investment Group. Qatari Sports Investment Group, by putting 2 million euros, 2 billion euros into the club, violated the new financial fair play rules. And the idea of this was that the then, I guess the then part of UEFA, Gianni Infantino, I don't think he was the head of UEFA yet. I think Michel Platini was still the head of UEFA. But UEFA essentially waived any sort of major punishment for what probably should have been, if they were following the rules exactly the way they were written, a banishment from European play for Paris Saint-Germain. That's the idea of the initial allegation. And then there's more stuff about the recent history where PSG should have been punished more for what they did the last couple of years, and they didn't get punished for that, and they got punished less. It's a lot of sort of in-the-weeds financial uh, stuff, but I think what this shows is that, is there really that much outrage here for this? And that's why I ask sort of, is this something or nothing? Like, I don't see any sort of sanctions coming down on any of these people. Like, Gianni Infantino runs soccer. Like, he's the head of FIFA, and essentially the head of FIFA is like the soccer king. So, are they going to, are they going to arrest Gianni Infantino? Are they going to charge him with something for basically breaking the rules that his organization created? I think it's so, it's so, and this is not even to judge the validity of whether any of this is actually true or any of this is exactly the way it was writ, actually exactly the way it happened. This is just more of a practicality thing. Who wants to investigate this one? Right, and and, and that that's kind of where I sit with it because sometimes in situations like this, sometimes you got to look at, uh, you got to look outside of the situation to bring you to a solution in within the initial problem. Where okay, so if they're saying that UEFA and um, and, and and Qatari and the Qataris are in cahoots with PSG, well, who's going to do the investigation? The corrupted ass FIFA. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like all right, who who's really gonna be the the moral ground here if we're talking about all of these governing bodies that really don't have a good track record of doing things the the, the ethical the most ethical or right way, quote unquote. So that that's how I see it too, Mark. It's like who who's really gonna be the one to hold everyone here accountable when they're all kind of sketchy and you know depending on who you ask. Yeah, and what I think this does. In a sort of a around, in a sort of a, 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 I guess, accidental way, is I think it basically eliminates financial fair play. I think they have to, if they're serious about all of this, they have to scrap financial fair play, 
wipe the slate and just come up with something else. If you're hell bent on capping the amount that a club is able to invest in its own business, which I think is the wrong way to approach it. I actually think it's the exact wrong way to approach it because yes, Qatar does have unlimited funds in theory. But I'm sorry, even the Qataris are not going to spend 10 billion euros on a soccer team. There is a limit to what yeah. they can spend. And over the recent years, you see that PSG's investment board is trying to slowly but surely not rely on Qatar anymore. They're trying to yeah. make this thing a self-sufficient business, Eddie. So, yeah. in, in that way, I feel like... PSG have already started to head down that road of being financially independent, but they were not going to be financially independent in 2011, 2012, yeah. because they just did not have the capital built into the club. So at some point, you have to invest the capital. And once PSG and QSI invested the capital, and then the financial fair play laws that they created essentially deemed what PSG did to be illegal in the UA. It's so confusing. In the UEFA... You know, in the UEFA bylaws, I think UEFA realized that they went too far and that they couldn't really enforce this or no club could really invest in a startup. So basically, it's you would say the same five clubs will be the same yeah. five clubs that they always are. So yeah. I believe that Infantino and Platini did the right thing because how do you have any investment and in, how you have any sort of competitive balance if you can't invest money in a club? So this all goes back to, Eddie, the financial fair play laws are stupid. And UEFA understands that. There are segments in UEFA that understand that. And it's the people with the most power that understand it. It's the other people in UEFA that are trying to hold up to this ideal and hold up to the letters of the law. And it's just not feasible long term at all. No, I agree. I think I think there needs to be some kind of cap. I know you know our sports here all have salary caps, so there's a you know there's a, a limit on what teams can spend and and you know how they go about spending it on their players. But you, I I'm, I agree with everything you just said. It's if if you can't if if, if owners can't you know use their own funds to um, you know start up their their club, especially if, if you're if you're a, a a mid-table club that gets bought by a billionaire and he wants to pump in money to, you know, to, to improve his squad, uh, you know, he has to go through all, he has to go jumping through all these financial fair, financial fair play, you know, holes or, or rules. And I think, like you said, it just keeps the status quo. It keeps the same five teams or same, you know, keeps the same top clubs at the top, uh, without much, uh, uh, much more, uh, competitive balance. Yeah, and, it's, and it also what I think it does is it sends the message that UEFA, more than being a governing body, is now, like the NCAA, trying to be the investigative body, they're trying to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner in these sort of situations, and that never works. And I feel like UEFA has to take a step back and go... All right, there's these rumblings, and I think the idea that this is anywhere near close to happening is a little far-fetched, but the idea of there being a Super League where, like, 16 teams break off from all the other teams, there's rumblings of that. And the reason there's rumblings of that is because those teams do not want to be governed by UEFA. And notice that corrupt PSG and Manchester City are in that, uh, in those, in that group of teams that can't be relegated, because... All these clubs understand the basic concept that UEFA has gone too far in a lot of what they've done. And they want all the golden eggs for themselves, as opposed to having UEFA sort of parse them out. So, right now in world football, there's this major sort of power struggle between the top clubs in the world, UEFA and FIFA. There's battles between FIFA and UEFA. There's battles between FIFA and the top clubs, UEFA and the top clubs. There's a lot of sort of palace intrigue going on. And I think what these leaks, if they say anything, I think it speaks to sort of the, the conflict in all of this. 
that there is no sort of lockstep ideology in UEFA, in FIFA, a lot of different interests going in a lot of different directions. And I feel like it's time, John, that they these sort of organizing bodies sort of pull back their power before they lose all of it. And I think that this hopefully is a wake-up call that they can't be the arbiters of comp- of competitive balance. That's not what UEFA is there to do. Competitive balance is going to happen based on what the leagues do individually and how they share revenue. It's not going to be based off of what UEFA does. And I think the bureaucracy that UEFA has become has allowed this stuff to sort of happen. And PSG have taken advantage of that. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, uh, you know, I always go back to Nasser and the president of, of PSG and, and their comments and how they understand what's going on, right? They understand that UEFA, like, and, and it, it's kind of weird. It, it almost feels like sometimes UEFA is a bigger governing body than FIFA itself when they're not really, but they, they carry themselves as such. And, 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 and Nasser, when they, when he tells everybody to relax, like, and the, when the president of PSG says, like, hey, there's nothing here, like, these guys are just saying it so matter of factly because they, they generally feel like, hey, these, these guys won't be in power for too long, right? By, governing bodies like UEFA, they won't be, they won't be the, 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 the judge and jury of everything for too long. So we, we, all we have to do is set ourselves up and get ourselves in a certain position where, you know, there's some risk to it, obviously, but where we're going to gain more than we're going to lose when everything uh, comes, comes, you know, into fruition and, and everybody knows what's going on. So I think from that perspective, it's, it, you know, we see it, we see, like you said, NCAA and uh, NCAA, they're, 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 they're terrible at it. And, and, and it's not going to work. It's not going to, Nobody's gonna like it. The players aren't gonna like it. These leagues on these teams and leagues are not gonna like any of those uh, any of those ideas to bring in uh, to, to only have the, the super teams in one league. Like that's that's not happening. It's it's <laughs> it, for me. It's a, it's almost like a, a a last resort type of like this is all we got. Let's 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 throw this out here and see what happens type of thing. So uh, that, that that's why that's why I, I stand with it. But again, just on those football leagues, it almost it also exposes um, not exposes it, it. It brings to light the the holes within these governing bodies. For you know, some of these things, there might be something there, and that's because. You know these these journalists have access to places where they shouldn't have access to, and all this information is getting out, and that's that that's a bad look on on UEFA, FIFA, and all of these these parties, and that kind of speaks to how how many how many how many holes are within these uh, governing bodies, and it's so easy for someone to get information uh, about stuff that should be kept in house. But again, that's FIFA, that's UEFA, that's the soccer culture from a business standpoint. That's what it's been. Again, it's like they're telling us stuff we already know like we we know most of these the most of these people are corrupt and are doing things you know in a way that most people wouldn't find tasteful so you're not really telling me much yeah back in the in the early 80s um i don't know if you guys ever heard of this but it, the ncaa essentially created a three strikes rule so mm. the idea was if you got caught violating NCAA rules two times within a five-year span after your first um, after your first violation, you would be given the death penalty. The idea of the death penalty was you would be banned from playing in competitive games for a year or two years, and the only college to ever receive that death penalty was SMU. And SMU has still never really recovered from it. And the NCAA learned from it that this was a vast overreach in their sort of power to do things, and it would not really benefit anybody. Essentially, what happened was they gave SMU the death penalty. The Big Eight, which was the conference that held Texas, Texas Tech, all the Texas schools in the uh, uh, maybe a little in the Oklahoma area, that whole conference broke up. And it essentially started the splintering into different sort of conferences and all that stuff. And it's long to get into. But the reason I make that point is 
UEFA does not want to give PSG a Champions League ban. They just don't. Because there's no incentive. It hurts the it hurts the competition. Uh-huh. It hurts the league that PSG is in. It hurts Liga, in which they do not want to do. And it gets to a point where it's like, okay, do you give these do you give these kids uh, do you give these not kids, but do you give these uh, teams punishments that affect everyone else around them for no sort of reason? No sort of reason except for they violated some arbitrary rules. And Eddie, it, I think it comes down to in this situation, just change the rules yeah. and give us something that's clear. Give us a give us a salary cap or a luxury tax because baseball does not have a salary cap; yeah. it has a luxury tax. Where if you spend over a certain amount of money, you have to you have to pay into a pool that then gets split amongst the other teams, which I think is totally logistically feasible yeah. in this situation. There's no reason you can't do luxury. You can't do luxury taxes. There's no reason you can't do revenue sharing. And they do some of it, but they don't do it in a level where I think it levels out the competitive balance of the leagues. So in this case, I think it's important that UEFA understands the situation they're in and not just sort of, you know, say we're UEFA and we're invincible forever because I think the top teams would create a Super League if it meant, you know, keeping all the money yeah. and five, ten years of exponential revenue growth. You know, damn what the rest of soccer is after it, which they would completely turn it into a wasteland. But, I mean, they can't, UEFA can't let that happen, so I think they're going to have to relax a lot of this. But, um, Eddie, anything you want to add before we move on from this topic? No, I think... I, I like the I, I, baseball. I think is a good comparison of what football can be. If there's no cap, at least have a luxury tax, like you said. If you know the Yankees, Red Sox, those big spenders, you know baseball doesn't tell them don't spend your money. Just if you go over the luxury tax, you know be prepared. You know the Dodgers as well. Be prepared to, you know, pay up. You know. So for the rest of you know the the smaller market teams can can get act you know can get a hold of the of that money and you know there's just gonna have to be better revenue sharing at some point you know they're gonna have to come up with something it's it's financial fair play is it has so many you know loopholes there's no clear cut definition of what it is um, so I think eventually there's gonna have to be a cap or, or some kind of luxury tax that teams you know will have to pay up when they when they decide to you know go spending big right, and speaking of off the field issues um, let's talk about some let's call them off the field issues Um a couple, uh, the game against Marseille, um, Kylian Mbappe and Adrian Rabio were late for a team meeting because apparently they were watching the end of the first half of El Clasico. Um, so you can, you know, very sort of college kid-ish where, you know, you're, you're in your dorm room and you oversleep and you, you know, rush disheveled off to your, to your class. It's happened to all <laughs> of us. That, is that what they're saying really, like? Because they were watching El Clasico, really? I, I don't know if that's true, but that's what's being reported. Um, wow. Then you have Marco Verratti getting arrested for a DUI and having to apologize and ironically playing one of his best games of the year um, against uh, Lille yesterday. So let's start with OM and let's frame it with sort of what... Thomas Tuchel had to do in that situation, which was sit them down for the first half, how the team sort of responded, and sort of your thoughts, because we haven't really gotten your thoughts on that game, sort of try to wrap it all into that nice little bow for us, Eddie. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, I think he has his own set of, I think he has a set of rules. I'm, I'm kind of glad that he stuck to them by he I mean Tuchel that he stuck to them you know regardless if it was Kylian Mbappe I mean I don't think he was going to sit them down for the entire game but uh, you know just to send a message you know don't let this happen again Um, I'm not sure if he would have sat them down if it was a big game not saying that you know PSG OM isn't a big game but you know uh, OM isn't you know they're not at they're not that they're not at their best right now, but um, I it's glad that he's not letting you know tart, tardiness 
you know, go unscathed. But um, as we saw when Kylian Mbappe came into the to the game against OM in the second half, they just he just took off and and you know the rest of that game was you know they were able to just you know turn it up another level after being you know kind of playing at OM's levels. They just when Mbappe came in, they just took it up another notch and they were able to get that win. Um, and then when it comes to the Marco Verratti stuff, I mean, from what I read, his alcohol level wasn't that high, but it was high enough, you know, to be considered a DUI. Still, I, I, I don't understand why. If he's going to go out drinking, you know, there's no, you know, chauffeur service. I'm pretty sure there's Uber over there in, in Paris. It's just like, just don't, you know, if you're going to drink, just you know, get a chauffeur or Uber service to, to, to get you home. It's, it's, I mean, we have this problem here in the States too with athletes drinking and driving. And it's just, it's, they have all the resources to make it avoidable. It's, it's just, it still happens. So, I mean, he's apologized and, you know, he'll face whatever punishment by, you know, from law enforcement and then we'll just have to go from there. Yeah. And John, I, I, I think with Verratti, it's, more about um it's more about just the athlete in general and there's a lot of athletes that get duis like it's he's not the first one of you know first athlete to get one of these and a lot of that comes down to sort of the entitlement of you know whatever i get arrested whatever i have enough money for lawyers and i have enough money to sort of go through the legal process it's, it's different if you know a regular person gets a DUI and they have to spend thousands of dollars in legal bills. But, you know, for an athlete, it's not that big of a deal financially to, to get a DUI, which is somewhat, I think, part of the reason why they just kind of do it. And also, there's just sort of stupidity. And I've never thought that Marco Verratti, outside of football, was always the smartest person. Like, I just, I, I don't see him being a... He, I don't see him being shrewd. I don't see him sort of being, like, you know, a thoughtful person, exactly. I could be wrong, but I kind of feel like there's a lot of sort of that going on with a lot of this. And the same thing sort of with, you know, uh, Rabio and Mbappe, where I think Mbappe's still learning certain things. There are certain things he doesn't know yet that he'll know eventually, for whatever, you know, for whatever he knows, and he knows a lot. But Adrian Rabio, at this point in his life, he's 24 years old, he's 23 years old, like, are we just at a point where he's he's just a flake? Like, that's a nice American expression. Like, the dude's just a, <laughs> the dude's just a flake. He's fooling us all. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I think there's some of that in it, and I think there uh, there's also uh, his his mother. Obviously, there's there's people in his ear, and then there's a indecisiveness with his entire demeanor. Like it's just like it, it, it's not a good look. Like yesterday when he came on, and you know, and then in the the last minutes of the game, he. Musa Diaby had a chance to score a goal at the end, right? He did something. Uh, but Rabio lost the ball, and he didn't go back. He, like, he didn't, like, uh, he lost the ball. He didn't even track back to try to go get, you know, retain possession of the ball. Like, he just seems like he's, like, tuned out right now. And for me, when, when Tuchel benched uh, Mbappe and Rabio, uh, you know, I read some of the people who were there at, at, at the stadium that Mbappe actually came out, you know, there's a video of Gigi Buffon talking to Mbappe because he was, he came out to warm up with the team and allegedly Rabio did it. He stayed on uh, in, in the, in the back room or whatever, pouting or whatever. So for me, things like that, that's not a good look. And, and maybe that's why that, that's why Mbappe came on earlier than he did. And, 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 and then maybe why that led on to him not playing uh, yesterday's match until like the last couple of minutes. So for me, I, I respect Tuchel for doing it not not just because of Rabio and Mbappe, just uh, as a team, you have to hold each other accountable. And to be quite honest, I I, I don't see any other 
any of our past managers doing something like this in Le Classique, a big match for for PSG and Marseille. You know, our our second best player doesn't play. You know, our, our second best midfielder doesn't start. You know, that's that's a big decision to make, and it's also him betting on his tactics, also, which is kind of genius on his part, and he's been doing that a lot this year. But uh, it's again for with with Rabio, man. Like if if he doesn't want to be here, man, we we don't need to be wasting time going through these these shenanigans when you're you have potential sure but man we we we, we're not at the point right now as a club with our ambitions and aspirations where we need to be trying to figure out how what your mood is for the day (laughs) like that's just like petty that's that's just petty stuff right there um so that that's how i see the rabio thing but i just seen a video of Verratti when he got uh, pulled over and it's so funny because he's like <laughs> he argued with the police the same way he argues with the refs. It was, it was really funny, actually. <laughs> but uh, but with, with Verratti, uh, the same thing with him. I think we forget like he's been with PSG for like six, seven years. He's like twenty four, twenty five years old. He's still immature to a certain degree. And you're right, Mark. Like he's a, he has a high field football IQ on the pitch, but off the pitch, he doesn't strike me as the most like you know thoughtful or you know the, the, the think things through type of person he just kind of does his thing and if he gets caught it's like oh whatever whatever i didn't mean to do i didn't know whatever that's how I, that's the type of type of person he strikes me as but i think with him it's a it's a maturity thing as well that he needs to kind of yeah. get over yeah and i i can get frustrated at marco Verratti for a lot of things sometimes he's you know sometimes he'll be too animated to an official and get a stupid yellow card. He got that double yellow in the game against Real Madrid last year that took PSG completely out of the uh, conversation. But I never questioned Marco Verratti's effort. Like, I never questioned his effort. And I'm one of those people that, I'm not the morality police. And I don't claim to be the morality police. And there's a lot of people in this line of work that claim to be the morality police. That they judge you based on your what you, what they think you're thinking, as opposed to sort of your actions. And I think that actions in this case speak louder than what we think someone might be thinking. And in this case, I don't doubt that Marco Verratti is going to give you close to 100% in every big game that he plays. Now, I genuinely question if Adrian Rabio on Tuesday... In the biggest game of PSG season, with the Champions League on the line, essentially, can you give this guy a start in a game that you cannot lose? And I think this goes back to, I think, the revelation of the last two games, and I think the sort of the big picture takeaway, which is, is Julian Draxler a midfielder? Probably not. Is he better as an attacking option off the wings? Yeah, probably. Does he have deficiencies in his game as a defender? Yeah, probably. Is he going to give you effort? Yes. And in this case, Eddie, we're talking about the biggest game of your season. It is do or it is die. You are on the road. There is no redo. There is no oopsie. There's you have to do this. And if I'm going to go down, if I'm going to the Europa League, I want to go down fighting. I want to go down with guys that are going to be out there and they're going to be putting in effort. You watch that game, those games against Marseille and Lille. Neymar was giving effort. Mbappe was giving effort when he came in the game. They were trying to press. They're not great at it, but they were making the attempt. Neymar was tracking back defensively. Mbappe was at least trying to track back defensively. Ferrari was tackling people. Juan Bernat, who's very limited defensively, was trying. You have guys like Thomas Meunier losing the ball in the offensive end and sprinting back to take guys out in the defensive end and get the ball back and win it back. You have Tilo Kerr giving effort. You have everybody who's put on that field giving an effort. And if Adjin Rabiot refuses to give that effort, if he thinks that what he's doing is okay then I'm sorry, I'll take the less talented midfielder with the guts to give it an effort and to fight over the guy that thinks he doesn't have to fight. And I feel like we're at that point where Tuchel has to ask himself that question. 
Can you afford to put Adrian Rabio out there in a game that you, as I keep repeating, because I think I have to keep stressing this, you cannot lose this game. Yeah. And if Adrian yeah. Rabio loses the ball in midfield and he jogs back, and that guy makes a pass to give to lead to a Napoli goal, what are we going to do? Are we going to say, oops? Are we going to sign him to the contract extension the next day? Like, wh- like what are we doing here? And I feel like Adrian Rabio has to prove that. And I feel like he has to prove that in another game, in a game that we don't have to win. Like, Eddie, am I, am I off base here? Am I thinking... No, it, no it, you're, you're spot on. I... I I, you like you said, they cannot lose this game, and they cannot afford to put out Rabio out there and him not putting in an effort. You know, because you can straight up tell when he's just he he just doesn't care. He has that you know vibe to his body, and it's just like oops, whatever. You know, like if he loses the ball, he'll be like, oh, whatever. I'll, I'll track back at my own pace. He's not going to put out, he's not going to hustle. And and I think at the end of the day, that's all we want. We want an effort and arguably, you know, this is a do or die. This is, this can have, you know, long lasting effects. Cause I, like you said, Mark and Mbappe and Neymar are not, you know, they didn't come to PSG to play in Europa League. So this is a really do or die game. And I, I just, I found Tuco. I don't. I don't think I can afford to put Adrian Rabio out there, not knowing what I'm going to get for 80 to 90 minutes. If he's going to put an effort, I'd rather have Draxler. Draxler, who maybe not the he's not the midfielder that Rabio is, but he's going to give you an effort and he's going to track back. He's going to try to get the ball. You know, the defense isn't his strongest suit, but he'll 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 work his butt off to try to get the ball back. Yeah, and I think what also might happen in this case is you may just have Di Maria go back into the midfield and just play Verratti Di Maria because I think they're going to have to play a back three. I can't imagine them going a back four against Napoli on the road. I just I find that to be uh, I find that that would be to me very sort of old PSG and not in a good way where it's like we have to learn from the lessons of the past. And I think the lesson that was learned in the last Napoli game is that with that four, uh, two, three, one, the way it was constituted, you just did not have enough defensive players on the field. And you didn't have enough defensive players in the right spots. And you've, you're going to play with not as many defensive players. You have to play in a bit of a more compact shape. So a three, four, three at least gives you a little bit better of a chance to play good defense because you give Meunier and Bernat some protection and you you know and you allow your pretty good athletic defenders to just be able to take a few more risks knowing that you have two guys in the back to you know sort of hold things up so there's a chance you have Di Maria starting in that midfield position next to Verratti there's a chance you have Draxler starting there but I just look at it and I say, "Gotta, it's not best eleven in this case because I don't want to see their best eleven. I want to, in the sense of talent, I want to see a team that's constructed to do the job that it needs to do in this case, which is at the very least take a point, but more likely than not, they're going to have to win. So, how do you win one nothing, two one on the road?" And I think that game against Marseille shows that PSG at least are conscious that they need to sometimes play defense. And that's what I enjoyed about that game, John, with that Marseille game, which is they play defense. Like, Marseille isn't this great offensive juggernaut, but they at least held the game, they they got the lead, and they didn't allow Marseille to have really that many clear cut chances once they took the lead. And that's what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to play a defensive game. They're going to have to be compact. They're going to have to be structured. And they're going to have to use that talent on the back end to get a goal or two, which they should be able to do because they have yet to score less than two goals a game, two goals in any game this year. So if we go by the logic of PSG is probably going to score two goals in this game because they've scored two goals in every game, the key then is, to keep Napoli from scoring two as well, right? John, you with us? 
Eddie. I don't think he's with us. <laughs> I don't think he is. Um, uh, uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll stall until you can get uh, But yeah, it's, it's, I think a 3-4-3 is probably, they, like, they've shown these last two games against Leo and, and Marseille that they can play that, that defense. They can, they can put in that effort and try to counterattack, you know, the, you know, eventually, you know, counterattack what, what other teams um, bring. But it's just, it's on the road. And then what I like is that the Marseille game was on the road. So it kind of gave you a, a, a little taste or a little glimpse of what of what to expect when, when they go to Naples on Tuesday. Um, but they're just going to have to, you know, it's all going to come down to them putting in that effort. And it's just, I'm a little worried. I, I, I'm, I'm not that, I'm a little confident, but still have that, you know, skepticism that, for once in quite a long time that they can go into, especially in Europe, that they can go on the road and and, and win. At least I, I'm, I'd like to see them win. A draw is fine. It wouldn't be the end of the world. But, uh, you know, a win on the road in Europe is would be a, a huge – it'd be one of the biggest um, victories in a while for PSG. Um, but we'll just have to wait and see. Um, the back three. I was going to ask you, Mark, what, what would be your ideal back three uh, going in on Tuesday? Because we've seen a lot of, you know, Kerr, we've seen Soki play center back, we've seen uh, Marquinhos, um, we saw the, yesterday uh, Silva, so I was just going to ask what, what, you know, I was going to ask you guys what would be the back three for, for you on Tuesday? Um, I think you go with uh, I think you go with your best. I think you go with your best three. I think you go with. Um, I think you go with Silva, Kimpembe, and Marquinhos because if Juan Bernat uh, is struggling, I'd rather put Stanley and Soki in that position and kind of have him as an option to come off the bench, as opposed to going with Soki in the in the starting back line. And in that case, you really don't have a backup left back in case a left wing back in case Juan Bernat sort of flames out, which is a possibility in this game. And they have to yeah. be able to they have to be able to tactically um, they have to be able to tactically figure this game out and not be sort of bogged down in something that they can't get out of. And you just you start your best three center backs, and I still think those three are your best three center backs. And Stoke and Soki has been really good for them, and I am really sort of interested in how he progresses after this game. But I don't think this is exactly the game to put him in there because Kimpembe, Marquinhos, and Silva—they've been in big games before, and have they played well in any of those big games? Not. Particularly, <laughs> Kimpembe's had a couple of big games, but I just I tend to look at it and go, can can you put in Soki out there and have him sort of fall apart in that moment? And I, I and that's where I'm a little concerned. He's still he's still 19, so uh, I can't like I I don't think I can put him in that spot. I just I can't see an all good conscience doing that, especially when you've just signed Presto Kimpembe to a long term contract, and he's yeah. and he's fresh. Um, so that's where I kind of I kind of look at it. Um, John, if you're back with us, can you um, can you kind of go through what you think of the back three? Ah, Eddie, you with me? All right. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, this is what kind of happens in these situations. Um, technology is sort of annoying, and I'm going to try to get both of these people back on the line and see if I can do that. Um, so, enjoy while I stall. Um, you're hearing the tone in the background. Um, John, you with us? I'm here. All right. So, that was fun. Um <laughs> Let's talk about the back line. Who would you start as your back three if PSG do end up playing in a back three? Uh, I would go with uh, 
Kipembe, because uh, he's not, uh, I think he's, yeah, he's good uh, in, in, in that. Kipembe, Silva, Taylor, and I would honestly put um, Marquinhos up with, with Verratti in the midfield just as another support. But yeah, I, I would I would have uh, Kipembe, uh, Silva, and Tilo Kerr in the back three and honestly put Verratti just as another defensive support because you have enough guys going forward when you're playing a team like Napoli, you know, they're wanting to 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 be very structured in defense. And I think we have guys who can you know, we have Neymar and Mbappe uh, and Di Maria guys who can potentially break down their how compact and 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 in defense they are, but when they counter and when they're in possession we have to have that support there. So I think having all of our center backs on the field and Marquinhos in the midfield with Verratti, it would be a good option to go with in this game. Because, again, this is a game where we we can't really mess around and, and, and take a risk on, on anything. Everyone has to be extremely focused and, you know, starting with the, the, the structure of how they're set up with the back three. And I think Tuchel has been wanting to play with the back three all year. And now, as we've seen the last two matches, he's, he's put out a back three. And it's, it's, it's worked well so far for us. And, uh, and I think the Lille match was a really good tune-up match for Napoli in the way how they're very defensively sound as well. So, uh, you know, that, that that's that's the back three I would go with. Yeah, and you would get so you would just to repeat, you'll go with Ansoki, Silva, and Kimpembe as the back three with the with Marquinhos in midfield. No, I would. It would be Kara for me. It'd be and Cara. I would actually. I would. Yeah, and if he's gonna put Juan Bernat as the the wing back, I would put Ansoki there because I think we've seen enough of Bernat where we. I love his fight, but I think Ansoki gives some more of a physicality and more sound defensively and he also has shown the capability of going forward as well so if he does decide to go with the, the traditional wing back rather than putting Di Maria or Draxler or something there I would prefer him to go with Ensoki rather than Bernard yeah that's interesting uh Eddie so th- that actually brings up a, a thing if we're going to play three at the back and it seems like that's what's going to happen do you go three five two or do you go three four three and add Cavani because that seems to be the choice here in this situation, which is do you go a little more defensive with a 3-5-2 and then adjust more offensively, or do you go with a 3-4-3 and adjust more defensively as the game goes on? John, answer that question. This has been, a, this has been uh, we had a good start, but this sort of, it sort of is what it is. Um, yeah. So but, that's yeah, the interesting I'll... part. Let's just go through the, let's just go through that lineup. Yeah, because for me, you want as much defensive support as, as you. Like, again, there's less defensive players on the field, so with with how with the lack of a, of a midfield, because essentially for me, this all stems from the lack of validity in the midfield. Whether Rabio plays or not, if it's just him and Verratti, that's not enough. So I, I would go with the three and have, so essentially five in the back and having traditional. Uh, fullbacks with Munier on the right and Soki on the left, and then and then you know uh, you know play more defensive minded in that sense where if we want to go forward we have Munier who's shown he can go forward and then Soki as well has shown that he has the capabilities of going forward where Juan Bernat there's 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 grit and there's fight but there's definitely a liability from a defensive aspect. Yeah, and I would say my. My thought here is, I, and I said this about two weeks ago after the game, I would consider not playing Cavani in this game for multitude of reasons. I don't think those reasons are, uh, I don't think those reasons have changed. I, I still believe that I think they're better off in this case having Mbappe be more of a mobile, effective, sort of speedy false nine as opposed to just having Cavani's movement, but... I don't see that happening. I think they're going to play Cavani. I, I I can't imagine them not. So yeah, that's I'm a little not, tough. I'm not going to I'm not going to like pretend that that's a possibility. So the lineup's going to have Cavani in it. So that means it's probably more of a three four three, which means you're going to have in my mind Silva, Marquinhos, Kimpembe as the back three. You're going to have 
Verratti and I'm gonna probably say Drax. I think they I think they're gonna ride Draxler out. I really do. I I, I think they can adjust and put Rabio in, but I I just I feel like this has happened two straight weeks. Rabio didn't start this week, and it, there's no reason why he wouldn't start this week. The the game against Lille. So. I, I say you ride the hot hand. If, if Draxler's playing this well, you ride this hot hand and you see what it gets you. And it gives you a little bit better possession in midfield. He's a much better passer than Adrian Rabio is. And I thought his game against Leo was the best game I've seen him play as a PSG player. So yeah. why yeah. sort of mess with that? Like, I just, I yeah. just feel like there's no reason to sort of mess with... Uh, with any of that, to be completely honest. So, um, here's what we're going to do, because I'm going to try to get Eddie back. I'm, I'm actually gonna... here. Oh, <laughs> wait, yay, he's here, woo! <laughs> All right, Eddie, welcome back to the conversation. What's your lineup looking like? You're, you're 11. Uh, I'm going to go with Silva, Marquinhos, um, Kempembe. I was I was tempted to take out Marquinhos for care. Just I, I just have that vision of him just getting pushed by Burton's and I, I heard it on your <laughs> on your small talk uh, you know after the game you know he's bigger and should be stronger than than, than Mertens but he got pushed but I'm gonna go with Marquinhos as far as the midfield I'm gonna go with on uh, the wingbacks um, Bernat he's gonna be on a short leash uh, Munier of course um, and then I'm gonna go with uh, the midfield. I'm gonna go with Draxler just to keep. He he did well, and I think he deserves that start. And then I'm gonna go with uh, Verratti, and and I think the most controversial part of this is that I I, I would, you know, I wouldn't. I'm tempted to take out Cavani just because of the fact that he, there's no chemistry between him and Neymar and Mbappe. And I, I just feel like they're they, like like we've said all along. We can't screw around with this game. We can't, you know, we can't play. You know, there's no there's no screwing around here. And so I I um I I I I'd go with um Di Maria on the wings if we're going three four three. So um you know that's that's the way I line it up. You see that's sort of the issue now, which is. You, you want to play – Tuchel initially wanted to get a lineup where he could play Mbappe, Cavani, Di Maria, and Neymar all at the same time. In a 3-4-3, you can't do that no. unless you put Di Maria in the midfield. And do you want to put Angel Di Maria in the midfield? Uh-huh. I think that's a bad idea because I don't think he's good enough in possession at this point in his career where he can hold up against that Napoli midfield. So I would find that to be a mistake, and I think Tuchel understands that. So one of those guys, either Di Maria or Cavani, is going to have to be on the bench to start this game. And that's where this gets interesting. I think this is a fascinating sort of look at what does this coach do in the biggest game of the year on the road? Can he give you a lineup that kind of makes sense? Like... That that's where this gets confusing because there's no way I think that Cavani doesn't start. I just can't see that happening. And if, if he, I think he, sh- I don't think he should really. The way he's been playing, if we're just talking about form, as opposed to just yeah. sort of playing the best eleven guys, which has been the PSG you know staple for all these years. Does it make sense to? And I'm just kind of thinking this through. Is it if it's a three four three? One of those guys has to be on the bench. If you do a three five two, there's it's more likely than not that Mbappe would have to be on the bench, and you're not going to do that. Yeah. So, besides, what decision would you make? What decision do you think Tuchel makes? I think he's probably going to sit down on Demir. I think he's going to give. He's gonna give Cavani the start just because it's his return to Naples. Which, look, I get, I get it. I, I just his form. Like, I, I love Cavani. It's just his form has not been great, 
I I I looked at his numbers this season, and it and it's just he's having the worst, you know, season of his career at PS with PSG, and I'm not sure if it's the injury, you know, that he sustained at the World Cup, or he's just not fitting into Tuchel's system, or it's maybe age. I mean, you know, he's 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 in his early 30s, and and you know maybe age is starting to creep up a little bit, but. I, I just start him starting. I just I, I look. I love him, but I, it, it, for me, I'd, I'd sit him on the bench. But you don't think Tuchel will do that? No, I think he's gonna. I think he respects him enough, and he'll give him the start. John, do you think Tuchel will just start Cavani and and roll the dice with it? Because I think right now it's a roll of the dice. Because yeah, essentially, essentially it is. But I, I, it's 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 a roll of the dice because. Look! Look at the only reason why he he's kind of like you got to kind of force his hand to start him is because he you know he made his career in Napoli and all of that good stuff. That's the only thing that makes yeah. it a conflict of interest. Otherwise, the the last two matches that Cavani hasn't played, you've seen the fluidity with Mbappe playing as a false nine because he's not really playing as a, as a traditional nine because he's he's on the left yeah. wing, he's on the right wing, he's everywhere, and he has to be there to link up with Neymar. So it, it's it, it's difficult. And again, we all love uh, Eddie, but I think we all are kind of saying the same thing. It's it's like right now at this moment, like you said, Mark, it's not about putting out technically the best 11 uh-huh. but it's the guys who are going to do what needs to be done for PSG to not go to the Europa League because essentially this is what it comes down to yeah. and this is this is a decision that Tuchel has to has to make and which is why he, he was brought on as, as any coach this, these are the decisions that you have to make uh in in big competitions but for me it just makes so much sense. And yesterday I was listening to the match and the Bain Sport, the Bain Sports uh, commentator was, you know, if PSG didn't really score, didn't score uh, um, in the first half of the match. And the, the commentator kept saying, like, they could really use Cavani. I'm like, no, it's not that Cavani is not there. It's just that Lille are setting up really well. And, you know, it's going to take some time. <laughs> and it is, eventually it's- they scored. But you know, it's—I it, don't think he's—he's—he's he's, he's missed in that sense, along with the fact that he's—he's he's in his head, and I, I know the type of player Cavani is. He's like a very emotional, passionate guy, and as a striker, you're not—if you're not scoring goals, man, it's, it's like the whole world is looking at you like, fam, well, like when you gonna score? <laughs> and it's not a good look. And you know, we saw Luis Suarez start the beginning of this season terribly he wasn't doing anything missing missing sitters he wasn't doing great things and in, uh, in the classical he puts on a phenomenal uh performance and i think as a striker you go through these forms but when it comes down to psg in the moment that we're in right now we're not in the situation that barca and these other teams are and we have to win this match and we can't have cavani out there it's going to stagnate to uh, things offens- offensively I think what we can all agree with is that there are a lot of questions here, but we just don't really have the answers to. Like, that's what I think is really strange about all of this, which is this is a team that has played uh, 16 games. They've won 14 of them. They've lost one. They've drawn one. And essentially, their season is going to be judged by a lot of people as a success success or failure, depending on what they do in this one game in early November. And it's an interesting situation to be in. And I really would not want to be Tomas Tuchel right now because he is going to have to make a really (laughs) difficult decision here of how exactly to approach this game. And I feel like I have more confidence in him than I had in Unai Emery making these decisions or Laurent Blanc making these decisions. But still, like, this is is some kind of heady stuff. And I ask both of you, what do you think, and it's hard to predict a game like this, but what do you think is going to happen? Like, I, I have my idea, I have my hunch... But what do you guys think? Uh, I, like you said, this is this is our, this is. I think this is the toughest decision he's had to make 
you know, so far this season, and you know, and and it's Cavani. He's a he, he's a PSG legend now, and to sit out a legend for his return to Napoli in the biggest game of the season. I mean, from what I've read on Tuchel, he 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 wasn't. He's not shy of making these tough decisions, which gives me that. You know, not a not a full confidence that he'll sit him, but I wouldn't be entirely shocked that he that he sits him. I, like I would, I said, for the record, I would be. Yeah, I, I mean, it's I just, still just, PSG. From what I, it's yeah. still PSG. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I, I, from what, like I said, from what I read on Dortmund when he well, I was at his stay at Dortmund, he wasn't shy from sitting down some veterans. And I mean, yeah, I'd be remotely shocked, but not entirely like, oh my, I was blindsided by this. Um, but I, I think at the end of the day, he'll give him, he'll give him the start. Hopefully, maybe on a short leash, but he'll he'll get the start. And what, I, what would your I, prediction be then, Natty? Final score? Uh, I'm gonna go two one PSG. Hmm, John. Yeah, I I honestly think um, whether whether Cavani starts or not, I I have a feeling we're going to win this game because of two things. In the first Napoli match, Gigi Buffon and Thiago Silva weren't on the pitch. I think having the those two experienced leaders on the pitch is going to have some sort of structure to those moments where it's you have to grind it out you have to go through you have to struggle and go through those tough just those tough times and i think having those two on the pitch is going to be an upside for us where hey we, we we drew the last game you know and we didn't play our best game but we were still in it and that, that's the funny position PSG have been in all season where I think we've we've took a step forward where we're not losing games bad like terribly and getting crushed like the Liverpool match and, and the Napoli match like we were in the games and I think that's a sign and then having those two experienced players in an important match like this is going to bowl well for us whether or not Cavani starts I think we're, we can we can win this game 2-1 3-1 honestly um, I, I tend to agree with you guys. I think PSG win this game for two reasons. One of them is sort of a technical reason. One of them is more of a gut feel. I'll go with the technical reason first. I think that if PSG are locked in, they are a better team than Napoli. They just are. They're better talent-wise all over the field. And does the most talent equal the best team? No. And it never really has. Because, again, there's the old saying, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work yeah. hard, something like that. Yeah. And I think a lot of that was on display in the Parc des Princes. I think PSG took that game for granted in the sense that I think they felt like Napoli would go in there and play for a draw and that PSG could sort of dictate the game. And Napoli did no such thing. Napoli was able to amount some really convincing attacking football in a way that I don't think PSG expected. And I think what Napoli did also really well, which is concerning to me, is that they defended PSG and they shut them down for large portions of that game. Now, that being said, I think that if they're more direct, if they're able to get the ball out to the wings and attack in a direct manner, I think they'll be able to stretch Napoli defensively in a way that they're not going to be able to counter with. And if they play Mbappe centrally, what I think that will allow also is if Napoli decides to try to play a high line, they won't be able to. So PSG will be able to pin Napoli a little bit if Mbappe is playing centrally. I think if Cavani's playing centrally, I think Napoli will be more apt to play a high line and to sort of put more pressure on PSG in their own end, because they know they're not going to get burned in the back end, because Mbappe playing off the wing, I think, is less dangerous of a goal scorer than if he's playing sort of in a more free central role. But that'll all kind of happen when it happens. The, the other reason is, god damn it, they're due. Like, yeah. <laughs> I know that's not a technical 
analysis of this game, and I know that's not what the Patreon members are paying for, but God damn it, they're they're due. Like they got to win one of these games. Like at some point, if you want to just like man up, you know, put on your fucking real big boy pants and play actual Champions League high level football. You got to show up for one of these games, and especially on the road. <laughs> we can't have this six-one excuse anymore. Like, like people trying to say, "Oh, the, the players are still traumatized from six-one." Get over it. Yeah, get over it. Happened that. two years ago. Get over it. You're playing a game now. No, <laughs> no demons. No getting freaked out when the Champions League anthem plays and like start, you know, turning, you know stumbling around and fumbling around uh-huh. and like at some point you just have to man up and do the thing and this uh-huh. is a game where they just have to do that and they don't have a choice because napoli will play them right off the pitch if they come out the same way they played the first game napoli will play them right off the field because napoli don't care about that stuff because napoli doesn't have to worry about that they're just going to go out there and they're going to play the way they want to play and there's no there's no pressure. There's no expectation. They're going to do what they're going to do. PSG, on the other hand, have to put all this weight of expectation. They have to go out there and they have to perform. And their back's against the wall. There's no more excuses. There's no more nothing. They have to come out here and they got to win this game. Which probably means they're going to draw it. So, for John Alonghi and Eduardo Razo, this has been PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon saying au revoir for now and see you on the other side of whatever the hell is about to happen on Tuesday.